podcast pilot and just like tried this way overly ambitious mm-hmm. concept where we couldn't quite get the pilot fully produced and then so realized like two guys who already have day jobs like this is an unproducible idea but um, the, the idea i mean to me the just the the phrase podcast pilot sounds overly ambitious right <laughs> i mean isn't that isn't that the whole point don't you shouldn't you just like sit down and record something I don't know. I guess it. Dep- I mean, to me, the po- the idea of podcast just means you're delivering it over the internet. Sure. And I think the mo- most of them are the couple people in a room talking variety. And uh, our idea was to do something that was higher production value, but that mm-hmm. also meant we didn't actually do it. So, what was uh, what was so difficult about actually bringing that to? I mean, it, it wasn't a f- totally fully formed concept, but it was essentially a comedy show mm-hmm. that could possibly live on public radio that's mm-hmm. not a quiz show. <laughs> it was a produced, like, field-recorded show where, like, um, where we were going to have, like, contributors, but also sort of stage kind of stunty things and do a lot of, like, on, like, on the street interviews mm-hmm. and boxes and things like that. And, um, and the whole, so the whole first show was just about the fact that we were doing the show and like Jesse, we got some other podcast hosts like Jesse Thorne mm-hmm. and Jad Abumrad to give us fake, terrible advice that we then would follow. And during the course of the episode, and, um, it was fun to do, um, but it was like, okay, we could do one of these a year and that kind of, uh, yeah. And the thing, I mean, the thing that really stands out to me about what you just said is, um, this notion that it could live on public radio. So, so ultimately it, it sounds like that's kind of what you're thinking towards like that, that that's kind of a goal right there, right? Is I'm going to produce a podcast and maybe at some point some local NPR or PRI station will, will be able to pick it up. Maybe. I mean, the, I guess the reason why I thought that idea could be on public radio is I do think there's this kind of hole in terms of comedy <laughs> Because there's there's Prairie Home Companion, and there's Wait Wait Don't Tell Me, and and now there's the newer show Ask Me Another, and there, mm-hmm. and I think there's car just talk is like funny a, sometimes Car Talk is funny. They're not producing new shows anymore. Yeah, um, it's like the it's like the peanuts of, of the yeah, public radio world. Uh, they're amazing. Um, but I thought there was there's room for like a produced yeah. comedy show, like of uh, that that is stories or. Like, you know, whatever, whatever it is, but it's not, it's not like a game and it's not fiction. It's, it's like a, some sort of journalism comedy situation. Um, is, is, I mean, that, that's the question, right? Is what, is there actually room for anything on, on public radio right now? Um, I mean, this is, I don't, the, it's really hard to start a show. Yeah. It's really, really hard. It is. And then, you know, is, aren't they ultimately kind of. I mean, the, you know, it's like any other entertainment distribution system where they're looking for more of what they have in a sense, right? That they're looking for something that speaks to an existing demographic. I mean, they would love to find something absolutely new mm-hmm. that has no precedent that is popular, but it's hard to come up with the idea. And and I think they would love to speak to a younger, more diverse audience. I'm saying they. I don't know if I should say we, <laughs> but the, the um, but it's yeah, it's hard. I mean, there's not a lot of room on the schedule. Yeah, to convince stations sure. to carry a show. Radio has always so, been a, a finite resource. Um, is that true? Oh, it's just spectrum. You mean? Yeah, yeah, spectrum um, and and stations and, and yeah. just hours in the day, right? 
Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, to me, it's probably. I mean, it's more it's more finite than it ever was before because so much of it is kind of syndicated at this point. Yeah, and this Amer- this American Life is like weirdly a young show at seventeen. Yeah, which is. Kind of, you, you mean in terms of demographic? And no, well, a little bit in terms of demographic, but I just mean in terms of being created recently compared to other yeah. other public radio. There, there are shows like Snap Judgment and The Moth and Ask Me Another and um, you know TED Radio Hour. Like there are shows that are getting national distribution sure. that Lab. are newish. Yeah, Radio Lab certainly is probably the most recent vi- like bona fide hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and. But even they, with you know, if if you can't produce weekly, which their their production is so intensive that they, at least up until recently, didn't produce weekly. It's hard to get stations. You know, you're you're producing seasons of ten episodes or something, so it's hard to get like a slot. Yeah, and um, and and in a sense, you 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 guys set a whole new bar in terms of how how much how much production can possibly go into a weekly show, right? I mean, how many how many months does it take to produce an episode? I mean, it totally depends on the episode, but a couple a couple months. Um I don't really know how much time goes into something like like some of the other weekly mm-hmm. shows like how much would go into like an episode of Prairie Home Companion. I mean, there's, I sure, imagine Garrison but, but is I sitting think, down writing somewhere. But yeah, yeah in terms of like, like the production a fresh element, air or something where it's just, yeah. I mean, I'm sure, you know, obviously a lot of people are working very hard on that show, right. but when it comes down to it, it's one or two interviews right. and that's the show. Yeah. And they're daily. So they're, yeah. they're doing, they're doing a lot more. So yeah, I guess so. It, it is, um, for a weekly show, choosing to not just do interviews definitely means that you're, you're going to be, um, you know, you're going to be spending more time per piece. Um, sometimes we have things that can be relatively fast. Like there will be on the show, there will be uh, two ways, which are just interviews with Ira and someone else, but a lot of documentaries, a lot of written essays that go through a lot of drafts and stuff. So, um, but we're lucky to have a decently sized staff. There are about 13 of us. Mm-hmm. So uh, we manage. You, you said something to me before uh, the, the mics turned on that, that was kind of astonishing because I, I came in and I, I, I saw a script and I noticed it was a script from the the most recent episode mm-hmm. that I was listening to on the way here that uh, the shows are, I mean, they're really down to the wire, right? In in, in a lot of weeks that it, it was what, um, you know, oftentimes a couple of hours before it actually airs live. Yeah. I mean, I guess when you collect a bunch of perfectionists, people <laughs> are going to say, Oh, we have ten minutes. We're going to use that ten minutes to make this music fade sound better. Um, I've worked here seven and a half years. Two, I think, two times I've started feeding the show live before the second half of the show was done, which meant that we had to, like, during the break in the middle of the show, like, switch to like fifty nine seconds of a CD music and then bring up a different Pro Tools session for the second half of the show. <laughs> so you're hearing the first half while the second half is someone's squirreling away and making the second half. That's the part that makes me nervous. Or occasionally uh, I'll be sitting here ready to feed live two minutes before going and Ira will pop in and say like, I just want to change one thing. <laughs> and so, I don't know, you know, I'm like, all right, you have two minutes, use it. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, we tend to work on stuff. Um, it's hard to feel the pressure until there's real pressure uh, of the deadline. And then there's always little tech things that go wrong. Sure. Um, 
but uh but yeah we're working working <laughs> yeah somehow starting something two months in advance you still can't get it done before yeah, that after hour. doing the show for 17 years yeah right? to the year 20 we'll figure it out yeah i mean that, that that's astonishing to me too so if i'm understanding you correctly uh nobody has heard the show oftentimes in its entirety until it's live on the radio right every yeah the each individual piece has been heard uh, in its entirety and each half of the show has mm-hmm. typically been heard um, because the way if we if we don't feed live the way the show goes up is just by uploading three little audio files on the internet and um, and so you know each of those halves so everything theoretically everything has been heard twice but no one's heard everything all at once um, but every story's gone through like six or seven edits with various um, producers, uh, listening in and then the, typically like the last production stage, uh, well, not the last, but the last thing, once the script is finalized is recording the voice tracks up until that point, the reporters like reading through it live in a room and then playing the clips of interview tape. Um, and then tweak, tweak, tweak. So strange though, to not know whether it, it works as a cohesive whole until, until yeah. it's out there in the world. I guess. I mean... I think that people, I mean, people have a pretty good idea. Like yeah. they've, they've heard the individual stories. Um, I think definitely it's a little different when, if you turn on the radio on the weekend after, after having like for the producers, like during the story meeting, they'll talk about say like who heard the show this weekend. And, and I think to the, to them, it tends to sound a little different just sitting in your um, living room, calmly listening than when you're producing the piece. So and, not everybody in the room raises their hands. <laughs> no, it is funny. Like sometimes not too many people have listened. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's not a lot of resting on laurels. Like there's not, too, like no. they'll be like, all right, how was last week's show? Did we learn anything, you know, in terms of like production, but, uh, it's pretty much like on to the next one. So, so where do you fall in the, in the hand raising spectrum? I mean, how often do you actually listen to your own show? Well, I've, I, because of my job is like feeding it out live or like kind of once it's done in quotes, it's handed over to me, so I tend to hear it no matter what because I'm I'm the director of operations. So my <laughs> one of my jobs is to like deliver the thing out into the world. So I've typically heard it either heard it feeding live or bouncing it, which is mixing it down in Pro Tools. Um, occasionally, for our 500th episode, some for some reason I got obsessed with listening to that one and <laughs> listened to it three times on the weekend uh, by finding different radio stations that streamed it at different times on the internet you can pretty much find the show airing at some point on some station at any given hour of the weekend um but i just i had fun listening to those old stories over and over and my goofy co-workers talking about them getting emotional over over the stories yeah yeah we had to work up some tears and (laughs) you know so so let, let's let, let's back up a second and, yeah. and and address what it is you you actually do for the show because I was um, I, I can't remember the woman's name but uh, I had an email thread and um, you know I was trying to find an interview subject over here and your name came up and the instant I read your name it's like it's like seared seared in my memory you know after hearing it every single oh, week the at credits. the end of the show yeah. yeah. So what? So so your production uh, manager? Is I am. Uh, I used to be the production manager, okay. uh, and then now I'm director of operations, which is mostly just a change in title to be more mm-hmm. accurate. Um, and you get paid a little more, I hope. Yes, okay. I got a six hundred percent raise. <laughs> um, and so I manage the, all the tech and business aspects of the show. So the tech includes, like I said, like the 
just the technical delivery of the audio out into the world mm-hmm. via radio and podcast and other means and but also like overseeing our app developers and our web developers and currently working on a 24-hour live stream of episodes um and uh you know producing our live events um and then on the business side it's kind of like all of the revenue generating things like podcast sponsorship and fundraising and you know archive sales and and um everything that makes up the budget so you're um, the guy who makes sure that everything gets to us and then that we pay for those things in a exactly sense. yes i deliver and then yeah. demand payment it's w- like a pizza guy <laughs> When uh, is that? So, production manager was that your first title here? Yeah. Okay. And it wasn't. I wasn't really managing production. Like we have a like uh, Emily Condon is now her title is production manager, and it, she actually manages production in the <laughs> sense that like she um, kind of manages the schedules of of the producers mm-hmm. and and like kind of maintains the schedule of upcoming shows and and just like that title is accurate. It was never really accurate for what I did, so it was bestowed upon her um uh but yeah that was that was my title for the first i don't know six years or something what 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 was your background before coming here um i had been working at this place called the radio foundation Mm -hmm. which is a production studio run by larry josephson out of his upper west side apartment larry is a old school radio producer a host from the 60s on wbai and also a host uh, on WNYC, and um, and kind of a, a beloved curmudgeonly character in public radio world. Um, so he's, uh, he's Ira Glass in a few years, maybe. Uh, I don't know. I think he's his own. <laughs> he's his own animal. Yeah. Um, so I was working there. Like uh, I had done a master's in media studies at the mm-hmm. New School. And had done some radio pieces and took some audio production classes. And so um, somebody introduced me to Larry when he was hiring kind of a catch-all techie. And so I did some engineering there and taught myself web design and, you know, made some websites. And uh, and then when the show – when This American Life moved to New York in 2006, their production manager stayed in Chicago to work on another show. So that was the one job opening. And I applied And my weird sort of – collection of tech and administrative and artistic skills fit the kind of weird job that I don't know when I describe my job it never sounds like one job so I think that was that was fitting and I had been doing some uh like documentary filmmaking um and stuff and was kind of deciding between like do I want to go into independent film or have a job in, in uh in public radio um and I probably would have stayed in film if This American Life hadn't hmm. moved from Chicago to New York so you, uh, you were a listener then before you started working here? I was, yeah. yeah. Actually, when I, gra- I graduated from college in 2001, and I had done a, an internship at Minnesota Public Radio and decided and scrapped a plan to go to uh, do a history PhD in, in favor of um, this media studies program at the New School. And I, was, I applied for the This American Life internship. And if I had gotten it, I was going to move to Chicago and if I didn't, I was going to go straight to New York and do this thing. And I was rejected as an intern applicant and then um, and then moved to New York. And then five years later, the show moved here. Is media studies a major um, th- that you that you get when you don't know exactly what you want to do in the media? Is it just kind of a broad <laughs> catch all? I mean, it's not, you know, you know, there's, you know, there's Read NYU, the news and there's, get a credit. Yeah. Um, I mean, 
yeah, I think honestly, in retrospect, I just wanted an excuse to move to, to New, York. New York. Yeah, and um, and for me, it was kind of the perfect program because I learned a lot of technical skills, which uh, you don't do when getting a history. <laughs> bachelors so i learned audio engineering like i learned how to use a soundboard and i learned how to use cameras and i made a couple short movies and stuff so like that's the part i love having done like a humanities undergrad like i didn't really care about the media theory classes like i loved making stuff um Are, are you done with are you done with film at this point I'm not, actually. I'm taking the month of September off from this job. Some friends of mine uh, managed to get funding to shoot a feature film in Wisconsin, and I'm shooting the making of documentary about the production, so I'm going to go on hiatus. Um, and I've over uh, while working here, I've edited a few films with the same group of uh, mm-hmm. people who are uh, Wisconsin in origin. Is, um, is this their first film? It's their first feature. They've done two shorts for this. But it, but it's 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 obligatory that they do a making of it. It's it's kind of an interesting process for somebody's first feature, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that they are hoping or realizing that like it helps to have a lot of stuff for mm-hmm. marketing, and they sure. they raised about like a fourth of the budget on Kickstarter, and were really successful shooting these little short movies to in order to drum up interest. And so they're hoping to use some of the stuff that I'll shoot kind of for like promotional materials as it comes out. And of course, I hope the whole thing's a burning disaster, so that the making of will become a <laughs> epic disaster documentary. Um, no, I hope it's I hope it's great. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Uh, so this is uh, you you, you kind of hope to keep jumping between those two worlds as as much as possible. Yeah, I think so yeah. to the degree that I can. I mean, I don't. I probably won't be allowed that many sure. sabbatical. Uh, like I'd like a month long sabbatical every month. Sure. Um, so we'll see. we'll see. I yeah. don't I don't know. I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. But. Can 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 the show run without you? Well, luckily I have a buddy who's filling in who yeah. has similar experience. Um, I was just away for a two week vacation, which was like the first two week vacation I've taken, and there were some tech disasters in my absence. But you know, the show went out. I don't think painlessly. <laughs> but, it's, it's important that that you that you let everybody know that that you know that, that they I'm need muted. you around. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. I, I cut some cables before I left <laughs> just to make sure that the, <laughs> there were problems. Have you um? Are, are you ever on the other side of, of the mic? I mean, are you, do, do you do you, do you pro, do you actually produce segments? Do you actually appear on the air? Uh, not much. Uh, savvy listeners will recognize my voice from the podcast <laughs> ads. Oh yeah, yeah. This episode of This American Life is supported by Say Squarespace Bubblegum. <laughs> I can't. I can't unless they pay me. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure they're willing to pay pretty much uh, every podcast. And um. Uh, I've, I've been on the show a couple of times. Like I told a story in one episode about seeing the shining when I was mm-hmm. eight. Uh, I, let's see, it popped up in the 400th episode a couple of times. I was like a voice actor in, in one person's story. And the 400th episode was when people had to produce stories, their parents pitched mm-hmm. despite how <laughs> bad those pitches might be. Um, in the end credits of that show, I came on to just kind of make fun of the show. Uh, but are, mostly, are there a lot mostly of, behind the scenes. Are, are there a lot of just you know last minute people running and grabbing people out of out of offices and putting them? You have to voice this. Yeah. No, that was a rare case yeah. where like they needed someone to. Um, it was Lisa Pollock's story, and it was it was something about like uh, people in the 
1800s like traveling to funerals for for entertainment Mm -hmm. because there was nothing to do and then they needed someone to like read in a like blah 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 voice and so i just did temp tracks and then they were like oh this sounds good we'll just keep them which actually happened one two other times but i was bumped there was this weird experience i had during when we were making the tv show there was a story about this guy who had a kind of like degenerative disability he was like a 27 year old guy who weighed around like i can't remember exactly about 35 pounds <laughs> or something and he was in a kind of lying down wheelchair and couldn't speak and and communicated through like he could move his thumb and and type and he he was like a an interesting guy and he said he wanted um johnny depp to like narrate like be his voice in the story so naturally they asked you well they 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 needed someone to do the temporary (laughs) tracks and so i did it and then they actually convinced johnny depp to do it so then there were these two cuts of the episode going around one with me and one with johnny depp and they were literally debating and they and ira said like hey you know we were thinking like some people really like yours more and i said you're crazy like you're crazy you have to use johnny <laughs> depp. like the it's this moment in the, and it and it like using johnny depp ended up being the not just the commercially responsible decision but it's like it's a moment of story that makes you cry because this guy gets his wish, wish yeah. yeah his uh, i wasn't on the list so um it was but it was a funny experience <laughs> you, you were number two on his list damn you depp again yeah i mean of all the people to be uh you know pushed aside for you know at least at least it was johnny depp it's true um, I mean, is that a, was was that ever really an ambition of yours? And you said you had produced stuff uh, early on in, in college. Um, you know, I I didn't really have like I got this job early enough where like I didn't have in terms of like creative stuff. I was really focused on film mm-hmm. at that point, so I wasn't like trying to be a radio reporter or radio producer. So it wasn't like shelving creative ambitions to do like more like background stuff um and i were lurking <laughs> um <laughs> uh and um so not really i've done i've done a couple stories and like i like i i love audio production mm-hmm. um at particularly editing uh i think it's just it's uh, particularly compared to like video or film editing where you have such limited options with audio editing it's you can just chop out words <laughs> and but this know. is this is uh, the probably the closest audio equivalent to filming a documentary right uh yeah yeah that's true um that's true uh yeah i mean you know the the job i have has whenever it threatened to be kind of if it threatened to be boring along came like a completely new technology that I had to figure out. So hmm. like, because of the fast pace of like changes in distribution technology, my job has changed every like multiple times a year. So when, when I started, like we didn't have a podcast podcasting 2000, existed, 2006. Six, okay. Um, I started in April, 2006 and our podcast launched in October, 2006. So at that point we were like selling episodes on audible and had streams via like real audio 
on this totally janky website. So they bring you um, on and, you know, five months we've got to launch this podcast. Yeah, I mean, it, back then it was kind of like, should we, uh, the, uh, some other shows have podcasts, should mm-hmm. we do this, I guess? Like, should we give are, it away for free? Yeah, should we, uh, we're, people are asking us for it, I guess we'll do it. May, hopefully it doesn't cut into radio listening. Like, it was just kind of a, we don't know what was going to happen. And then it got really popular really fast and um so to the point where now we have nine hundred thousand people downloading every week and it has not reduced radio Hmm. listening it it, radio listening has stayed completely consistent while adding all this other audience so so you think it's just it's other people it's people who who wouldn't necessarily yeah turn on npr and listen to people who used to listen but they don't have a commute anymore Mm -hmm. or um but yeah it's different it's a different it's a different audience uh, are, are you guys faster at, at adopting those technologies now than, than you were? I mean, you said that podcasting yeah, is already Yeah, yeah. I felt like for the first couple of years I was here, we were kind of catching up. And um, in terms of, like, modernizing our site, I mean, no one was that fast in public radio. Yeah. Uh, I would say that NPR is really doing well in terms of tech now. Like, they're, they're, they have really solid digital distribution stuff but um once we had our apps like once we updated our site a few website a few times and got our apps out i felt like okay we're at least caught up to last year (laughs) and now now i think we're kind of keeping pace with what actually is happening um and and that's partly because i can just devote most of my time to that and we have a couple more administrative staff who like took took things off my plate that i used to manage um, so I only have two jobs. So, so you're, you're kind of a wholly independent body when it comes to making those decisions, NPR or PRI, they're not deciding for you. Um, right. Uh, we don't have a, we don't have any formal relationship with NPR apart from the planet money project, which is a co-production. Um, PRIs are radio distributors. So they're the liaison with stations. Um, and they, so they, they distribute the show out to, all of the all of the radio stations but in terms of digital distribution like that's that is our own domain at uh you know this american life chicago public media uh so yeah we you know we we make those decisions internally has 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 the distribution affected the show at all i mean as far as you can tell you know when as people start listening to things differently are 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 you guys doing things differently on the the creation end of things mm, i mean Basically, no. Uh, like, someone was asking Ira why the podcast is so popular, and he had an interesting answer where he said that, like, the the kind of style of the show, which is one person talking directly to another person, mm-hmm. is very close to the the style and culture of the internet. So the show lives very naturally on the web, maybe more than other shows might. Is that dissimilar um, from a lot of other shows? I mean, I think... The show has always been kind of trying to sound more casual and Mm -hmm. more thrown together than it is. A little more intimate in a sense. Yeah, more intimate. I mean, I think we sometimes get pitches where people will be like, here's a list of the things I ate for breakfast this week. (laughs) And I take that as a compliment because it makes it seem like the show is just, here's some story about me and it could be you. When in reality, they're like hyper-produced down to the, like every second and they tend to be stories of kind of incredible things but packaged in a way where people are talking normally um and i think that kind of casualness it's sort of bloggy in its in its um mm. tone 
And so Ira's theory is that like we kind of like were the the show is kind of the had an internet-y tone before like podcasting was really a thing and we just like lucked out that that fit into that. Um I mean I think that's a bit overly humble in some way like I think it's also just like it's good storytelling generally and people want to listen to that and it's convenient to listen online. <laughs> like it's, yeah. it might just because it's good. Yeah. And because um, it, it's a good and it was a popular show yeah. and then the internet came along. Um, but in terms of like, I mean, occasionally we'll not bleep things that we yeah. can, we have to bleep on the radio. If you've got young um, ch- children listening, this yeah. is the time to, exactly. To so we can, we can, um, a podcast can be any length. So mm-hmm. we often put things in that we had to cover time. Um, we have used, and this isn't really like podcasting, but the internet, like we use social media to source stories. So we'll get, we did an entire episode, uh, about coincidences. Mm-hmm. There were all stories sent in from listeners and that would be like harder to do with just radio because sure. you'd have to like announce it the week before the radio and set up a phone line. And, you know, so, um, so a little bit, but the show, I think the changes to the show over the years have more just been dictated by the interests of the producers, the, the producers have always just had this faith that, like, if they run after stuff they really are interested in, the audience will yeah. also be interested rather than trying to, like, guess what the audience might want. It, um, you know, it's it, it's content and it's a style that, that could live outside of, you know, a, a weekly, hour-long show. You guys did a, a TV show for a while, but I yeah. guess that kind of that stretched your resources a little too thin. Yeah, we, it was a rare case of cho- of asking to be taken off <laughs> the air. Uh, it was the same producers who were finding radio stories were finding TV stories and it just was, it was too difficult to do both. And, um, we were better at radio. So, and we (laughs) we weren't going to stop doing the radio show. So, um, so we, after two seasons, uh, we threw in the towel, but, um, but did some, I mean, we were really proud of some of the stuff. I think particularly the John Smith episode, which is the... Um, sixth episode of the second season where um, it was the only episode that was almost an hour long, most or a half hour. And it follows seven people all named John, John Smith from like a baby to an old guy. And it's, I think it's one of the nicer things that we've ever put together. And that was, you couldn't really do it on radio because the, the like images really pulled you through, you know, like there wasn't a sing It wasn't like a story. Hmm. It was totally uh, just like kind of an apparatus, and the visuals pulled you through. It's interesting. How how often are stories rejected because they just they just don't work on radio? Every week, every week. I mean, we killed a story in the story meeting today that we've been working on that we had been working on for months, and it was just sort of. Like, I mean, that, but that's literally like we kill seventy five percent of the stuff we start. I think, yeah. and that's wow. again a luxury of not being a daily show of having a decent sized staff and. Um, but I think that's like so much of the energy is just running at things. And cause when someone pitches something, you have the idea of it, but you don't know till you're, you can, so many things can go wrong. The person, the key interview person can be a bad talker. The story can not be quite what you thought. Um, you know, I- anything. So, um, so we'll tend to like, you know, on any given show, if you looked at our story list, there'd be like the three stories that are in. And then underneath there's a list of probably like 10 or 12 yeah. things that, had some degree of like 
you know, someone made calls or all, or all the way to the point where it could be even done, be like completely produced and be like, this episode's too long. <laughs> like, so we'll save that for another one. Okay. And hope it doesn't, that, it hope doesn't just go away forever. No, I mean, you'll hope that there's a theme that yeah. it can work. I mean, I, if you pay attention closely, often the stories are like, it's kind of a stretch to like, <laughs> and here's one more that might be on yeah. the theme. Yeah. But you, you know, you, again, this is something that the internet would afford you is, is a place for those to live if they don't make it on the radio. I mean, you know, do they do they not make it on the radio because they're just not up to snuff? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the, the people have often asked for like cutting room floor stuff. And I think typically yeah. they're just if they were good enough, they would be on the radio, and we have a decent number of things where they will get resurrected if the theme is right. But it's not worth re- releasing just like a mm-hmm. story here and there. I think um, people think they want it, and then they'd hear it and say, "Oh, yeah, that is almost as good as I'd want it to be." <laughs> You know, we we tend to think of each story as being the 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 work of one or two people. You know, there's one or yeah. two names attached to yeah. it. You know, there's a producer and sometimes a narrator is, is a different right. person. But how many people really actually have their hands in these stories? Because um, you were saying, you know, that something will get thrown away because somebody isn't a good radio talker, for example. Yeah, uh, it's a couple more than that. I think on any given story, uh, there's the producer who's doing it. There's typically the reporter who's reporting it. Ira. Our senior producer Julie and probably one other producer. Mm-hmm. So I'd say five people are. But it's not everybody on staff working. No, on not on every story. Yeah. And o- often, in, like late in the product, late in like if there's a edit when it's almost done, we'll bring in they'll bring in someone who like hasn't heard it yet because once you've heard some like five versions of something, you can kind of lose the mm-hmm. forest for the trees. So they'll mm-hmm. bring in fresh ears. But um, but uh, yeah, like five. So that's like half the producers will probably have had some hand in in in, in each story at some point but mo- it, but it really is like that producer who's on it like that they've put in way more than everyone else combined because they're like working with the reporter from day one like going gathering tape with them typically like working out th- on all the versions of the scripts and like after an edit which will just be a couple hours they go back with the reporter and actually implement all the things that mm-hmm. should be changed so uh so yeah and sometimes you know that can be I mean, Julie Snyder worked on the Harper High School, uh, produced the Harper High School episodes for like three months, yeah. and that so that's that can be a lot of time. And, but, but it also means that you can work on something for a couple months and it might never actually make it to air. Yeah, that's got to. Yeah. it's a heartbreak that you have to learn to deal. Yeah, with. yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, you definitely definitely see in the story meeting when something gets comes gets killed, yeah. the producers are like. <laughs> I think after a while you just like absolutely get used to it, but mm-hmm. there's got there's some like oh could have could have left at six yesterday if I had known that. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, how how much of a hand did you have in the uh, in the TV show? Um, I was mostly working on the like promotion end of the TV show. Uh, the producers were finding stories, so I was doing stuff like um, like being like like coordinating a lot with Showtime on all of the like posters and dvd covers and ira doing events and like the kind of like once the stories were done like all of the all of the marketing stuff what those word bubbles Um, said above him on the yes dramatic (laughs) or touching that was a long meeting no um it was interesting because like you know up until then uh, we just like typically working with other uh, public radio entities so to work with a organization like showtime is interesting yeah i i i can't even imagine the the meetings that must have taken place in order for you to take this long well-established show and try to to, try to twist it into a totally different medium yeah i mean i guess this is long predates me but i guess the networks had been pretty soon after the show started networks started sniffing around saying Mm -hmm. like let's do a tv version of this and um 
Ira and the other producers were just like, we can't think of how that would be done. Like yeah. putting cameras in the radio studio is a terrible idea. Sorry, the, the Howard Stern. Stern approach. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, it works for him, but for us, it would be like, okay, we just taped someone reading five minutes of script that is not contextualized, and now here's somebody at their computer. Yeah, no strippers in the studio. Very with Ira. few. Um, and eventually, I guess Showtime just kind of like kept mm-hmm. kept knocking and saying like here we have the full budget and you can do whatever you want and you can shoot an episode and if you don't like it you don't have to do it so but the bigger the biggest projects I've done personally are the the live shows that we've streamed into movie theaters we've done three of those and those are like uh, I've spent six months on each of those when we do them um, which is fun and mm-hmm. harrowing because um, <laughs> you're like you have to like hope that a satellite doesn't fall out of the sky yeah. and that yeah, well, these six hundred movie theaters are going to somehow project this thing live. So, so getting getting back to the show, um, you know, the the fact that it was the same producers working on both of these. Obviously, the the easy solution to that would be we'll hire more producers, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that the the worry was the question is like, what makes this our show, mm-hmm. the TV show? And the the answer was it has to have the stories have to have the same sensibility. And so, sure, you could hire documentary filmmakers or segment. You know, a lot of people would send resumes saying, like, I want to be a segment producer. And it's like, well, that doesn't exist on this production. Um, So I think in order to just have it feel like it was the same, we felt like these are the only people who know how to, what what that means, like what uh, this American life story is. And maybe that was naive and we could have just brought people on, but... You've got um, a lot of episodes about breakfast. That's true. That's true. That could have been good. <laughs> I know that after this conversation in, in a couple of weeks, I'm, you know, the breakfast episode is going to pop up in my iTunes. We've been working on it for years. Yeah. It's just we don't have a story yet. So why, uh, you know, if, if if the show is successful, if if you're not really looking to um, expand the, the staff too much, why... Mm-hmm continue these 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 new avenues is there a worry that radio is just not going to be enough forever um i mean i think people have been declaring the death of radio since it was invented but we haven't seen that it's Um, a little more reason to believe it now right yes um i mean i don't in a sense it's sort of like when your business model is underwriting and uh, calls for donations. Y- the thing you need mm-hmm. is a big audience. Yeah. So the th- the way to like maintain like strength and just like have the resources you need is just to make sure that you are in the places that audience is listening. So is is the podcast a loss leader though? I mean, you know, at the beginning of the show, uh, oftentimes I will come on and talk about how much it it costs, how much the you know the hosting is. Is it is, but it it ultimately does make you guys money. Oh yeah, the the people yeah people have stepped up and donated to cover those the mm-hmm. s- the streaming costs and more and help help pay for the actual production. So no, it's not. It's it's uh, and now that we've introduced like the um like sponsorship on there too, it's it's totally part of the part of the revenue stream that's meaningful. Um, and. Yeah, I mean, it, like I said, it didn't. It hasn't cut into radio listening. So mm-hmm. stations, you know, we were worried that they, they that it would harm the stations yeah. to do the, to have this alternate distribution, but it just hasn't been true. Any 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 distribution models that that haven't 
haven't worked out. Mm, we had a story preloaded onto the Microsoft Zune. <laughs> uh, yeah, that doesn't exist anymore. Um, what other what other things have? Not really. I mean, everything you know that we've put energy into mm-hmm. typically has found an audience. You know, the the i iOS apps like iPhone and iPad apps are more popular than the Android apps, hmm. but just because of you know, the Android platform isn't as app happy, but there's still people listening there. People there's listen. probably, you know, a bigger crossover between iPhone users and NPR listeners. That's just my guess. Maybe, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> you mentioned the uh, the 24-hour streaming. Yeah. What, what, what is, what's, what's the nature of that and how, you know, why, why is that a better model? Not a better model, but why does that need to exist alongside Well, I think there are, there are a lot of these... Um, apps like TuneIn and iHeartRadio mm-hmm. that are like radio stream aggregators and Stitcher and- Stitcher is a podcast aggregator. Yeah. Um I think they might have some live in there but uh essentially like like I was just on a road trip and like I was getting pretty bad radio reception most of the time and I like have four songs on my iPhone. <laughs> So I was using, I, my girlfriend and I were using iHeartRadio most of the time. And it's just like, it's essentially the Pandora model. Yeah. Um, and so I just think there's this other segment in the same way that like pe- some people want to listen to via podcast as opposed to radio. There's this other segment of people that wants an on-demand sort of subscription style service. And so what it'll be is like a just a stream where every, at the top of every hour a new episode starts and they're evergreen episodes from the past and, and also the new newest episode will stream maybe simultaneously to when, uh, you know, when WBEZ plays it or something like that. And it's just like an experiment to see like, uh, will people listen this way? And then it'll also position us for whatever um, – like whatever technology becomes dominant in cars, like mm-hmm. will likely be like stream ingestion technology yeah. in addition to podcast, and so there, therefore, you just sort of have like you're you're just building a radio station, future proofing public yeah, radio shows, yeah, and-, um, and um, and that's you know like a lot of station streams come through these third party apps, mm-hmm. um, and so it's it's kind of it's sort of low hanging fruit, and we'll see how popular it is. Um, but it's easier to build it now and have it than like have some like car manufacturer say like, Hey, we, we're going to include streams in all of our 2014 cars. Do you want to be in? Like, ah, we don't have one. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a little bit trying to be ahead of the game, but I'm probably predicting completely wrong. It'll be some, it'll be like Google glass visualization of radio. I mean, at least you're at a point now where you get to predict rather than, you know, look Try back to catch six up. months. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's true. <laughs> How, has has working here affected your your radio listening at all? I mean, do you, do you, do you you know are you are you a nitpicker? Do you listen to shows differently? I mean, I'm in gen- I'm a terrible consumer. <laughs> like I am, I should consume more you know, almost anything to be involved in production. But I have never been a regular radio listener. I've never been a regular podcast listener. <laughs> I mostly like movies and eating food. <laughs> um, so I, uh, but, but yet, you know, you, you, you wanted to launch your own podcast. You didn't want to, yeah, I wasn't going to listen to it. Yeah. How, how do you know, how, how, how do you know it makes a good podcast if you don't listen to other podcasts? Uh, I don't know. I mean, cause ultimately I, you want to make something that, that in theory you would want to, to listen to, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I, 
don't think you need to consume a lot of things to, I think making something is quite a bit mm -hmm. different than consuming it. And yeah. I've consumed enough things to know. And, but, uh, but no, I, I don't, I, it's like a writer saying they don't have time to read. It's, it's stupid. I would be <laughs> much better at things if I consumed more, but, um, but I just never, I don't know. I've never been like, yeah. uh, I, I was, I mean, I was definitely raised like a public radio kid, like listening to like public radio was always on in the car and, and at home and stuff so that sound you were you're from minnesota originally uh minnesota yeah okay, and then so that, that explains it yes yeah <laughs> minnesota the the strange like heart beating heart of yeah. all public radio yeah if i heard someone say like i don't listen to anything but i think i could make something i think they're an idiot so i don't know the, fl no the flip side of it though is is you know and this is this is something that always worries me is going into um any sort of creative pursuit i mean this is probably doubly true of being a um, of actually reviewing things, but mm -hmm. oftentimes it ruins your ability to enjoy those things. You oh, know, if you're when, a reviewer, when yeah, but even if you you know if you know how the the sausage is made, right? I mean, yeah. does that make it difficult to listen to like a radio lab, for example? I don't know. Well, like I said, I was just on a two week vacation, and I was in the luxurious position of hearing of this American Life <laughs> episode that I hadn't worked on at all, and I was so excited to listen to it. It was, it was terrible great. because you hadn't worked oh, on yes, it. Oh yes, exactly. Yeah. It was uh um no, it was it was cool to like have no like I didn't know that like this person didn't email back and so I'm not going to enjoy <laughs> their story yeah, as yeah, much yeah. or something like yeah. um so uh, it was yeah, it was totally nice to be just yeah. on the outside. Um And like you said, but, I mean everything is so polished that there aren't really any mistakes to hear in a lot of cases uh yeah i mean i wish that were actually true but um, oh yeah but uh i mean there are you know mistakes get in here and there we if i if you listen to a show with me you'd be able to point out a few things probably in most episodes uh yeah i mean i can hear edits mm -hmm. Some, sometimes you just can't make the edits super yeah. clean um but uh uh, I mean, it's not so much mistakes as people saying like, oh, if we had done I, like that pause should have been longer mm -hmm. or I felt like this meandered or we cut this thing that I think would have helped. It's but more like a, second yeah. guessing than it is like, oh, we like the show stopped playing. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, it's a subjective thing. Right. Ultimately, we need, we need to talk about things like that. Are, are you going to are you going to continue to be a regular listener, you know, when you kind of move on to other things? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think as someone who's not um, primarily working on the content of the show, like I, I find it very, I think I can say this as it's not a boast because it's not my work. Mm -hmm. Like I find the consistency of this show to be astounding. Like um, th I think there are a lot of things that are like good most of the time, but you know and of course there are episodes that are better than others and stuff but sure. but it holds up and so i think yeah i'll definitely I'll, I'll definitely listen if i ever stop working here i'll probably listen way more because <laughs> i be like it'll be i won't be like oh we have five minutes to get this thing out yeah. like yeah come on pro tools and um i sometimes feel bad when it's like this heart-rending story and i'm just sitting there like okay we've got 2.5 minutes and now blah 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 because blah, blah, it becomes this mechanical process in order to get a very emotional thing out to people you, you've never missed i mean you've never missed or been late for an episode though uh you true. said there were two close calls yeah i don't know about before me but yeah we've never we've never not had a show 
Yeah. Um, there's always something to play. Which which is it's crazy that this show can you know can, can be something people are working on for three months. You can get that close to the to the wire, yeah. but always make it every single time. Yeah, crazy is one word for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what? this is a podcast. What's another word for it? <laughs> no, I just mean that it it like also means that I end up staying here two hours later on yeah. Friday. Yeah. Uh, but. Um, that's my lot in life as the person, the late person. It's the intern and I who are here burning yeah. the midnight oil. Um, last Friday was a 15 hour day. Yeah. You get, um, you, you get to a point though, where, you know, you get a job where you, there, there's nobody else in the world you can complain to, right? Because you're, you're lucky ultimately. Oh God. Yes. <laughs> Even well, if it keeps you late on a Friday night. I mean, yeah, we're lucky to not be in like a prison camp, you know? Like, yeah. But even <laughs> more than that, you know, like working in a show. Yes. Yeah, no, I, you're lucky to I, you know, not be, uh, yes. working it for, you know, um, absolutely a hundred percent lucky. Um, any complaint is absurd, but as you know, that doesn't stop anyone. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think that points to something like no one here is like walking around being like this American, li-. like it's like very low key, like we're doing our jobs and like, there's not much like, um, there's not like an aura of anything. It's you don't just get, like, you know, we're you don't churning get star out, tra- star when you see Ira walk by like I just did. Oh yeah. I'm like, Oh, what, what did I not email him <laughs> back about? <laughs> what, what did I, it's a good thing to bring. What did I do wrong? Though, right. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's funny because like someone will say, what do you do? And say, um, I work at this, I work at a public radio show, this American life. And, mm-hmm. and they'll say, oh yeah, like I haven't heard of like it, like that. It's yeah. absurd that I would, but would you know, it. most people have not, not only do they not listen, they haven't heard of it. Like mm-hmm. in certain demographic they have, but like, okay, we have 3 million listeners. That's one out of a hundred parties people. are you going to Seth? I'm going to a lot of parties at old folks homes. A lot of four year old birthday parties. Well, I have to make money <laughs> as a clown. <laughs> yeah. There you go. That was uh, Seth Lynn from, uh, from this American life. Uh, always nice putting a, a face and a, a voice with a name that you hear at the end credits of a, a radio show um, roughly once a week or so. Um, Seth's voice you may also recognize from the beginning of This American Life. He often does the commercials, so you may hear him talking about Audible or um, hats for uh, cats and, and small dogs. Uh, thank you so much to Seth. Um, he uh, very ably recorded that interview. <laughs> Did took... Uh, Took, did, did all the did all the hard work for me. Um, that was recorded at the This American Life offices in Manhattan, which is why it was um, uh, uh, what they call in the radio business uh, uh, sounding good. Um, thank you, uh, thanks so much to Seth. Uh, that was uh, a lot of fun watching Ira kind of pace pensively back and forth um, the other side of the studio at one point. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks to Brian for for editing uh, editing this together. Uh, thanks to Mark and everybody else at Boing Boing for hosting it. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please write us on iTunes. Uh, send us an email. It's riylcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Tumblr. Uh, that's also riylcast, uh, but that one is is at tumblr.com. Trying to keep it reasonably easy for you guys. Uh, got a lot of uh, good shows coming up. We've got uh, interviews with oh geez, um, Reggie Watts. Um, went all the way to Berlin to talk to, to Al Burian um, Le- Leslie Stein we spoke with um, I got a conversation with Peter Bag coming up RJD2 in, uh, in Philadelphia lots of awesome stuff uh, so stick around and we'll be back next week with another episode of R.I.Y.L. <laughs>